Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am, as ever, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com, host of this very, very fine podcast, and soon to be author of The Full Context of Jekyll and Hyde. It's halfway between horrible histories and an actual study guide, and it is awesome, and it is very well researched, and you should buy it. It is awesome. More details on that coming up. Well, one more topic to tackle on Jekyll and Hyde because now the end is near and so we face our final curtain. The final topic is of course duality. Everything in this book is a metaphor for duality. Boom, mic drop, end of podcast, laters. No, of course not. I'm going to tell you a bit more about duality. Duality is everywhere. Everything is duality in this book because man is not truly one but who let's think first about duality of class i mean we believe the british class system exists today i mean do you maybe we do maybe we don't i mean i consider myself working class i get looked down on because of my accent which i absolutely refuse to soften which is a beautiful blend of south london and east end it is a mystery to us all uh i did not grow up especially privileged but i have three degrees i believe my pasta should be al dente am i still working class i don't know my dear boyfriend has no qualifications uh, i think he might have passed like a couple of gcses he actually recycled his high school leaving certificate which is what they have in australia in a show of deliberate nihilism it means nothing to me woe vienna but he has a amazing job in the city and went to private school so is he middle class is he a higher class than me i don't know when i tried to explain the british class system to my father-in-law in the context of i was very scared meeting my father-in-law because he is firmly middle class I thought he wouldn't approve of me being with his son because I'm working class. Turns out he had no idea what it meant. Uh, I gave him a TED talk on the British class system, including some lines from Blake's London, Mind Forged Manacles. Uh, He was deeply, deeply confused. So I am going with the British class system does exist, but if you don't think it does, that's cool regardless victorian times the class system does exist you are marked out by your dress by your voice by your background by your education everything marks you as one class or another including some people such as uh, henry mayhew who was a journalist who actually went out and met working class people even up to and including you may be a different species if you're poor you may literally be a different species of human because and i love this your skull shape is different if you're poor if you're rich and smart you have an oval shaped face but if you're poor your skull is shaped like a pyramid okay cool hyde lives in soho a little bit more of that later but that is a firmly working class area and maybe one of the reasons that hyde is so different from jekyll is his crime is to become working class we all know 
we all know that the working classes are super violent and just follow and do whatever they want to do whereas us fine respectable middle class people repress all of our emotions so following that line of logic Hyde represents the working class i wanted to find a little bit more evidence of this so i had a little think about this when Dr. Lanyon is talking about meeting Hyde, he says, This person who had thus from the first moment of his entrance struck in me what I can only describe as a disgustful curiosity, was dressed in a fashion that would have made an ordinary person laughable. His clothes, that is to say, although they were of rich and sober fabric, were enormously too large for him in every measurement. The trousers hanging on his legs and rolled up to keep them from the ground. The waist of his cloak coat below his haunches and the collar spreading wide upon his shoulders strange to relate this ludicrous accoutrement accessory was far from moving me to laughter all right we know that Hyde is smaller than Jekyll when he takes the potion he gets littler but the wearing clothes that don't fit you is a trope of the working class is a stereotype because secondhand clothing is like completely standard wearing hand-me-downs is standard this make do and mend attitude so you might be wearing someone else's clothes either you got cheap and they're too big for you or they belong to someone else in your family this is the description of the artful dodger in oliver twist and this is the first time we encounter the dodger have a look at this and tell me if you don't think it sounds like hyde in that description i just read his hat was stuck on the top of his head so lightly that it threatened to fall off every moment and would have done so very often if the wearer had not had the knack of every now and then giving his head a sudden twitch which brought it back to its old place again he wore a man's coat which reached nearly to his heels he had turned the cuffs back halfway up his arm to get his hands out the sleeves apparently with the ultimate view of thrusting them into the pockets of his corduroy trousers for there he kept them he was altogether as roistering and swaggering a young gentleman as ever stood four feet six or something less in the butchers. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. So we've got a duality of class coming through. We've got a duality of location. We already have the dual location of Edinburgh, where our dear Lewis grew up. So I've only ever actually been to Edinburgh for work. So I've never actually explored the city. I was up there running a teacher training session. Um, so it was like show up in the morning, do the thing, stay overnight, do the second day, go home. Like I went out for like one drink, I think, and went for a pizza. So I don't actually know very much about Edinburgh. A lot of this has come from book. But you've got historic edinburgh lay to the north and south of the valley on the south side was the old town the simple majestic unity of the high street beneath a skyline serrated by battlement and gable it was as crowded as the under decks of a ship of the line every drop of water to be carried up interminable stairs the hearing constantly assailed by the noise of neighbors above and below ten thousand rats in the wainscoting in the walls and that's just in one house many of the rooms in gloom but for the glimmer of light from some dark alley lewis loved this he grew up in newtown the nice bit but he lived and liked the dodgy seedy bit the old town and that's where he hung out so he's already got this experience 
Even though Jekyll and Hyde is set in London, nominally, some smart people argue that actually it's Edinburgh he's thinking of, but he just calls it London. At this point, we don't, we don't really get this today. London is code for big scary metropolis. It's scary, anything can happen, it's confusing. Any book that's explicitly got London in kind of plays on this. The big scary city, anything can look round any corner anything i went around the corner on the bus today and i saw a man dressed as a dog offering free hugs on peckham high street anything can look where jekyll lives is cavendish square which we can still go to now both jekyll and lanyon live there and it is very very nice the kind of people who live there are self-made rich businessmen MPs and like minor aristocracy like the son of second son of a lord or something like that but assuming for a sec that Jekyll and Hyde is set in the time that Stevenson's writing it so it's set in 1885 this area has already had its heyday the houses are getting a bit run down a little bit you know faded glory maybe that represents jekyll's faded glory maybe he used to be awesome and now he's coming to terms with the fact he will never be awesome and forced to experiment on himself dot 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 though experimenting on, on yourself was kind of normal isaac newton did it to test something about how eyes worked and poked a pin in his own eye <laughs> but down the road and if you're doing this walk today Cavendish Square is next to the British Museum or pretty close to it and at a fast pace and because I know where I'm going like I don't have to check Google Maps it's about a 15 minute 10 15 minute walk to Tottenham Court Road Station if I don't get distracted and get a coffee and from then it's about another five minutes to get to Old Compton Street which is considered the most Soho bit of Soho I mentioned this last time Tuk Tuk Noodles on Old Compton Street is really really good and it's also the street with the highest pickpocketing pickpocketing rate in London so uh zip up your bags zip up your bags peeps it's bad even though no one really addresses in the book that Soho is bad Soho is used as kind of a code kind of a symbol for badness this is where we can see sorrow, misery, and wretchedness. This is Gin Alley. This is full Hogarth territory. Look at he, some of his pictures and see the misery and wretchedness. It is drinking. It is where identities can be hidden. It is where vices happen. A travel writer in 1858 said, All round you are bitter memories. Every stone you tread is red with blood. You can almost hear the last dying shriek of virtue by means of the tempting purse or the draught. The poor victim, feebler in her struggles every hour, be lost forever. Yet the gas burns brightly by night and there is dancing and wine and songs in the small hour. You may hear a hollow laughter sadder even than cries and tears it's just this this writer just really annoys me i've quoted this travel writer a bit in my book it's like but do you really enjoy your empty life of going and partying and i'd just be like yeah yeah that sounds really nice actually it sounds great 
he says think what years and years of tedious culture must have elapsed to produce this concentrated essence of vice i could bottle that i could make a mint how many must have died in the seasoning how many must have turned back shuddering as they saw the dark ending to their infatuated career how many weeping parents must have won back to decency in the observance of moral and social law how messed how many the want of pecuniary means must have compelled into a reluctant abstinence abstinence such a crop could only be reared in such a sodom and gomorrah of ours yeah it's bad it's bad i don't really think lewis would have had a problem with this to be honest i think he would have quite liked it what's interesting though is hyde street has a gin palace on it alcoholism bad behavior it has ragged children and even worse it has women of many nationalities oh no but focusing on this point it has a french eating house it has a french restaurant that sounds pretty nice today i could always go a bit of french food it's very pleasant but we want to think about francophobia hatred of france france society french society has imploded they've gone from republic to napoleon to back to republic to back to king society is falling apart and important people like lord palmerston and the duke of wellington genuinely believed that the french invasion would happen even during the crimean war when we were supposed to get in on be getting on with them france is scary france is the upset of the social order and that's where hyde is he's hanging around french people oh no it's like saying he's hanging out with terrorists basically the women of different nationalities as well this is kind of interesting the main immigrant communities are ethnically jewish people from all over the world and irish people the irish are scary due to the potato famine they many people came over to the uk looking for work and think the kind of daily mail rhetoric we have now like eastern europeans are coming over here they're simultaneously going to steal your jobs and claim unemployment benefits it's always confused me um it's that kind of rhetoric it's that kind of threat which Hyde is associated with. Let's think a bit more about evolution because we talked about this with Hyde. He is the devolved person who we could all have deep inside of us but he also represents savagery versus civilization. We are civilized, savages are not. Savages can be anywhere and I mean the term savage now is pretty gross it's a really upsetting thing to refer to non-white people has to be honest but savage as a category was kind of a form of entertainment like you could go and see like savage people doing savage things so you could see i don't know like dancers from africa doing a tribal dance and it would be billed as savages it also plays into this weird obsession that Victorians have with the human body. They're blooming obsessed with it. This is the age of the freak show. I learned this quite recently. We talk about the person and then we talk about the, the freak. The freak identity is as a performer. 
think like drag queens. There's a name on your driver's license and then there's an identity you have as a character. The freak performer has their identity as a character and their identity as a person. Anyone who's a little bit different, anyone who's a bit strange, could be classified as a freak. One of the most adorable ones I heard was at a um, a travelling fair. There was a sign up saying, um, "Don't your this man's wife is astounded to find out he has two of this." And everyone's like, "Ooh!" And it's a sealed tent. You go in, and he's got two thumbs on the right hand, and it's like, "Ooh, don't tell anyone! Don't tell anyone! It's a big trick." But this was the era of people like General Tom Thumb, who was a very, very tiny man, who was presented to Queen Victoria and became a celebrity. This is the age of very, very fat people and wolf-faced babies and stuff like that being like something you could do. So you could see these people and sometimes they might have a little act so um the conjoined twins chang and ung from where the phrase siamese twins comes from they had a little like gymnastic routine they would do and people would clap or you could just go and ask the person some questions like what's it like being really hairy and it's this definition between normal and abnormal, which is the duality. So we can argue that, according to Victorian logic, by the fact that Jekyll is almost definitely gay, makes him abnormal, makes him different from normal. We can argue that these freak shows, which are super popular, are because the people in them don't count within the capacity category of normal. This whole thing of like, you're a weirdo, it's a Victorian thing. I'm normal, you're weird. That's this whole weird Victorian classification thing that hasn't gone away yet. But we can argue that Hyde is represented as disability. This came up before. Hyde is abnormal. Hyde does not have a quote unquote normal body because he always gives this impression of deformity. It's his evil that's coming out and making his face deformed because clearly your personality is responsible for whether you're pretty or not. Okay, I mean, like, if you're really antisocial, you might not wash, but it does not work that way. And the whole thing about Hyde's body plays into this normal and abnormal thing. It also plays into this gothic tradition. So we can argue that this is a gothic book. We've got all the features that we associate with gothic, like Dracula and Frankenstein, in Jekyll and Hyde. It deals with extreme emotions, like rage. It's hyperbolic. It's full of suspense. The narrative is disjointed, a bit unrealistic. It deals with taboo's violence insanity and let's face it jekyll's got a blooming disused creepy lab in his basement oh that's, that's pretty goth goth feature i could get one installed oh gosh i couldn't even afford a basement in london those things are premium but if we think of the gothic as an overall victorian trend it plays into this whole body horror thing Gonna give you a quote. These gothic texts describe human bodies which have lost their claim to a discreet and integral in 
integral identity, a fully human existence. They are bodies which occupy the threshold between two terms of an opposition like human and beast, male, female, civilised, primitive, by which cultures are able to meaningfully organise experience. The scholar Kelly Hurley calls these abhuman. It means a creepy body. A creepy nightmare body and that's what makes Hyde scary is because his body falls into this abhuman this strange and different category the duality between human and not gothic as well as cathartic the idea is that you read it and you get scared and you feel like a weight has been lifted because you've let out your fear in a healthy way People are scared about what evolution means for them. Like, am I a monkey deep inside? Am I even a person? What is it to be a person? What is human? What is monkey? And this idea that we're addressing those questions through looking at height is what makes him scary and it what makes the ending satisfying. And it plays on this body fear, the body horror. Like, oh, I'm meeting these conjoined twins. What if I was a conjoined twin? What if my child was? Oh, diversion for a sec. Chang and Ong are actually really, really cool because they took back ownership of their own business from their agent who was exploiting them. And they invested in a farm and became very happy retired farmers they went back into the freak show once to get a little bit of spare cash and after a brief period of exploitation they actually lived the life that they wanted to originally which is awesome but if we're talking about the category of monster not monster we can see how it plays into a lot of scary things deviance namely because it's this idea back to civilization and savagery we are civilized but society is breaking down we've reached the peak society will one day crumble and hide is the deviance society is degradation he does everything that society considers wrong he's violent there's drug taking he's very rude to people he's everything society has tried to get rid of Let's think a little bit more about the duality of man and monster, duality of man and beast. Really, really good book, which I just finished, is The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. On one hand, H.G. Wells said, I hate Robert Louis Stevenson, he's an idiot, but his books are very, very closely based on it. There's a Simpsons episode about this, might be how you know it. Um, Homer gets turned into a walrus and quite likes it. But in the book, this mad scientist does an operation and turns animals into animal-human hybrids. He's creepy. But the reaction that our very rational hero has to first seeing the beast man is very similar to our reaction to Hyde the duality of man and beast being broken by a monster and how he reacts our hero prendick says i saw something in their faces i knew not what that gave me a queer spasm of disgust i looked steadily at them and the impression did not pass though i failed to see what had occasioned it you just get this shiver that something's not right obviously like any great villain Morrow monologues the second he gets a chance he's like let me tell you about my plan 
He says very much of what we call moral education is an artificial modification and perversion of instinct. Pugnacity is trained into courageous self-sacrifice and suppressed sexuality into religious emotion. He must be mad. He's implying that civilization is artificial and we're all animals. What? And that's what makes him a scary villain. We talk about faith and atheism as well. Atheism is on the rise. Darwin he becomes atheist partly due to his findings and partly because his child died and he became you know what kind of god would allow this to happen Stevenson very much an atheist very much disappointed his mum and dad <laughs> that's the most thing he focuses on is it made my mum sad but faith and science is another duality faith and atheism you've got the growth of recognisable churches such as the Salvation Army which started during this period. You also have the rise in like evangelical churches which also flourished in America at this period but this scepticism, this rationality, this scientific focus is partly what causes the conflict within Jekyll because he's a man of science but he's also a man of faith. What does he do? The last duality we want to think about is kind of a big one. Stability and instability. I mentioned that people are scared, and that's what the Gothic plays on. They're scared of what evolution means. But society is scary. So for like 800 years, let's argue since Norman Conquest to about 1837, England has been pretty consistent. There's a king or a queen. They're in charge. Cool. Done. We're ordinary people. We do our thing. Done. Victorian era, we see the rise in the power of the middle class, of rich people who are not noble. The 1832 uh, Electoral Reform Act, and I believe 1867 as well, extended the right to vote, not to everybody by any means. It was something like 60% of men might have been able to vote. But if we consider the last 800 years, this is our big deal. You had an ability in a monarchy whose power was eroding and the power in the country being held by moneyed men, by industrialists, by people who'd made their fortune and didn't inherit it. And that's scary, because all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, everything, everything has changed. Oh, 1848, there is a lot of revolutions. France, in the course of Victoria's reign, France and Germany will change their leadership. In England, we have something fab called the Chartists, we, who wrote a charter of political demands and demonstrated heavily up and down the country. We also have even the concept of demonstrations. <laughs> like, people would demonstrate. People would go to the streets and share things. And it is scary. Power is no longer a single concept. Stability is no longer a single concept. The world is unstable. The world is less predictable than it was. And that's the last duality that we need to consider. Even though there's been a queen on the throne for 40 and a bit years, at this point nearly 50, the world is not simple in Victorian times. Big things are happening and that's the duality at the center of this book is change versus stability traditional versus new civilized 
savage. Man, animal, good, bad, faith, atheism, Soho, Cavendish Square, Newtown, Old Town, everything is leading up to the fact that he is two guys in one body and once you've read it through one time, read it through the second time, you will notice all of this because it is screaming out at you. It is 150 million clues. So Stevenson got kind of got ignored as being a good writer for a long time. Going on this idea that um, if something's popular, it can't be high quality right uh, i once got into an argument with someone who said it wasn't possible for me to be clever and enjoy america's next top model and i'm like i also enjoy researching robert louis stevenson um why can't i enjoy two different things and that debate is what led for him to be ignored because treasure island kidnapped and um oh my god can't believe i forgot the name jekyll and hyde this has been a long day and Jekyll and Hyde were incredibly popular. They were bestsellers. Therefore, they must be trash, right? Because they're bestsellers. It's only in the last few years that the influence and the proper discussion about what Lewis was capable of have come to light. And again, read the book more than once. You will notice this. You will notice his skill coming through i have honestly really enjoyed doing this jekyll and hyde section of the season because the first two times i read it i thought it was trash i was like this is terrible i hate it but then as ever i researched it and i realized i loved it stay tuned next week though for arguably my one of my favorite writers ever in the world charles dickens charlie d I do love a bit of Dickens. No, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say that he's my favourite British writer. Uh, because my others are Pearl S. Buck and Sal Shui Qin, um, who wrote Dream of the Red Chamber in Chinese. Bit of me, me and Charlie D, me and Charlie D down by the schoolyard. And I will return next time to talk about Christmas. Queen Victoria and Christmas. Thank you for bearing with me. Keep your eyes, ears and eyes peeled for more book updates. And I will speak to you very, very soon.